Morning Liberty. Well, what is up, all of our Liberty-loving friends? This is another fantastic episode of Good Morning Liberty. My name is Nate Thurston, and across from me is Mr. Charles Chuck Thompson. And joining the show today is Mr. Stephen Perkins from the American Conservation Coalition. How are you doing today? I am so blessed. How are you? We're doing pretty good so far. I not think, too shabby. Yeah, not too bad. You know, we're here and uh, the, the the weather's fine. And, and so, yeah, really no complaints on this end. But, you know, we met someone from the uh, American Conservation Coalition when we were at LPTN. We thought it'd be cool to get some more info on what was going on because this whole this whole conversation has been something we've spoken a lot about and we do a thing every week called white pill wednesday and what we've found is on white pill wednesday where we try to talk about good things it tends to lean towards uh good things when it comes to energy and environmental things and in ways that the market is finding ways uh to solve the climate change problems and different innovations stuff like that and so this is something that's that's uh definitely meaningful to us that we already talk about a lot. So why don't you tell everyone uh, about yourself and about ACC? Yeah. So as you said, my name is Stephen Perkins. I'm ACC's vice president of grassroots strategy, which essentially means that I run our field grassroots department. Um, We're active in over a hundred communities across the country, the lower 48 states, all of them. We have some sort of membership presence and and ACC, our mission is to build the conservative environmental movement. We were founded by a guy, our president named Benji Backer, really out of this need for conservatives to engage on the climate issue and environmental issues, because for the longest time, uh, the left has had a domination over that issue uh, and, and, and really has been able to create all sorts of what I would categorize as insane uh, solutions and plans to address it, things that would not be good for the country. Um, and so we were founded to, to create the conservative response to that. And then in the five years since we were founded, um, we've done a lot of work on that front. I mean, now there are Republican politicians who not only openly talk about climate change and environmental issues, but are actually drafting legislation and, and working oftentimes across the aisle to get stuff done on it. And so it's been a lot of success. And for our members, it's encouraging for them to see that we're doing things on the ground. We're not just talking about what we believe, we're, we're doing these things. So our branches are doing cleanups and planting trees and hiking and, and connecting with nature and educating people. So um, that we're kind of a holistic organization in that sense with the, the grassroots and the policy side but it all comes together under the the idea that conservatives need to be engaged. I like that. I mean, we talk a lot about here, I mean, especially recently with COVID and everything, there are many ways that humans die. And so if you destroy the economy through something like the green new deal on your way to solving climate change, well, then what good does that actually do? Uh, so I think this, this is a pretty cool um, a way to get people engaged. Now I'll, I'll admit that I was, uh, that I was pretty skeptical of climate issues for a long time, um, as I think most conservatives probably are. And I think that's because the narrative that's being pushed so hard from the left. Um, but I think Elon Musk put it simply, 
for me on the Joe Rogan podcast when he said that it's just simply if you take carbon from the ground and you put it into the air, like you're transferring um, something that was in the ground now into the air and that you have to do something about that. So uh, give us, uh, I guess, the few things that you are most concentrated on when it comes to uh, climate change and how you guys are implementing those. Yeah, absolutely. So, and, and you're right. I think what we saw at the beginning of the century were Democrats start to be the leaders on this issue and conservatives in my perspective overcorrected and said, well, if they're advocating for that can't be good. And so I'm going to go the opposite direction. And now we're, we're seeing that de-escalation happen and we can come to, we can agree or, or we can disagree on certain specifics, but the, the basics of it are, are pretty, uh, I think we have agreement around. Um, our organization focuses on honestly a wide array of things from energy and making sure that the just transition to a, a renewable future actually is just and makes sense and doesn't destroy the economy. Um, we're focused on conservation efforts. A big campaign we have right now, uh, which is really cool, and it's called Rooted in America. And so it's this idea of how do we use nature to fight climate change rather than government programs? How do we prop up nature, things like planting trees, right, which suck carbon out of the air? How can we promote that and, and those natural solutions um, as a way to, if done properly, the, the scientists um, estimate that if we do natural climate solutions properly, it can get us 37% of the way to our 2030 climate goals. That's pretty significant. And it's something that can be done without massive government intrusion and, and involvement. It's something that the, the markets and, and private industry are largely already engaged on, want to be more engaged on. Um, and so that campaign has caught a lot of traction with our members and, and other people just because of how simple it is. I'm often skeptical of the simple answers but sometimes the simple answers are, are the best ones, and especially the answers that don't involve a lot of government uh, activity and action. Yeah, so I wanted to, you know, you mentioned that maybe conservatives are reacting to some of the insane policy goals. And I wanted to know if, like, is that something that you've noticed as you guys have been doing this, that when you say, okay, you know, we should take care of the environment. We should care about the environment. We should try to move towards clean energy, but we we want to do it in a different way. We want to do it in ways that isn't going to destroy the economy, where the government doesn't have to take over the whole thing. Have you seen a lot of conservatives pull back on their opposition when you approach it in that way? Oh, yeah. When we were started, again, five years ago, Republican members of Congress did not want to say the words climate change. And now, in the House, the Conservative Climate Caucus is the third largest caucus, not just of Republicans in the House, but in the entire House of Reps. So there's been a huge shift in half a decade to get to this point where we can admit that it's an issue. And, and, and I feel like even just in recent years, we're getting to a point where okay, we can admit it's an issue, and now we actually are confident about what we as conservatives, liberty-minded people can do about it. So I think we're only going up from there and we're gonna see a lot more engagement on it. Um, even traditional conservative organizations on like the policy or think tank side have been more active uh, in this space um, because it's clearly an issue that is coming up, particularly among younger voters who are gonna 
overtake older generations as the, as the majority voting block. And so it, it's really, we don't have an option to not have an answer to it. We have to have something to offer on that front. What, so what is the stance on climate change or can ACC give a stance on climate change, like, I guess would be a better question. Is it the, is it this impending doom? Like we're all, what is it? 12 years or maybe less 10 now, like now. 10, yeah. I don't, maybe there's a countdown clock on CNN <laughs> or something. I'm not really right. sure. Uh, but you know, are we all about to die here in a few years and it's too late and only the government can save us or what's the real situation from, I'm, from y'all's point of view? I'm happy to tell you, no. Uh, I mean, so is there an urgency? Sure. I mean, absolutely. There, there is a need for us to, to do something and to, to work to reverse the effects of climate change, mitigate future effects. Um, that's absolutely there. But we're not saying that we have five years to live or that if we don't pass some massive climate package, we can kiss the earth goodbye. And, and really, what that has done is really alarming because now uh, Gen Z specifically is a very anxious generation. And when it comes to climate change, that's one of the leading causes for anxiety in younger generations. There are people now who don't want to start families and have children because they don't want to bring a child into a world uh, where climate change is a threat. And, and in my mind, you know, I, I understand people who get concerned about this stuff. Um, obviously, I'm concerned about this stuff as a conservative who cares about climate change. But I also think the alarmism does a lot more bad than it does good. What we should be focused on is getting stuff done in a way that preserves all of our dignities, all of our you know livelihoods. Um, and I think anytime that you're waiting around, especially in recent decades, anytime you're waiting around for the government to act on something or else we're doomed, um, you're setting yourself up for failure. Uh, and so what I would tell people is, it's a lot more important what we can do as individuals and as local communities. That's where the progress is actually going to happen. Yeah. And you see that, that what we talked about kind of earlier, that defensive posture, especially from, from more conservative folks, uh, even among libertarians, I would say it's that it's this di divisiveness coming from, well, if you don't, you know, if you don't believe that we should act now and we're all going to die tomorrow, then you're part of the problem. And so then uh, an obvious defensive posture will, will consume that. And then it goes, you know, too far. So um, it also creates this theory that the entire problem must be, must be entirely fabricated to, to lead towards more government control over the economy. I think that's where a lot of the alarmism maybe comes from that they, they've got to push towards that. But if we understood that we have a longer, we have more time to fix this and maybe we wouldn't be so quick to resort, you know, to the government. Sorry to cut you off. I just wanted to make sure I uh, said that. That's fine. Yeah. I I know that you're upset with me and, <laughs> and, and they will have words, you yeah. know, but no. <laughs> no, I'm totally fine. I'm just, I'm glad we're all so, not going to die in 10 years. <laughs> that is good. So, uh, you heard so, it here uh, first. Well, uh, something I would recommend you read. There's a really good article. I think it's in the Atlantic of all places called the green vortex. Um, and it's this, I, it basically explains this, this um, phenomenon where when President Obama came into office, he had this big 2009 climate bill that, of course, never got passed, and thankfully so. But there were two main goals in it. Number one was for it to cut greenhouse gas emissions by 17% by 2020. Without this bill ever passing and without any significant climate legislation since then, 
In 2020, it actually was down 21%. So again, no government action. It actually went down further than the bill that would have been government action. And then it also said the U.S. needed to generate 20% of our electricity from renewables. And in 2021, we surpassed that. So it's this idea that there's certainly been pressure and a lot of talk from government and policy spaces about addressing um, climate change and, and putting in you know better practices. But ultimately, it was down to technology advancing. It was down to companies feeling the pressure from their uh, from their customers to be more sustainable. It was from uh, you know uh, just all of these different forces of industry and consumers that caused these things to happen. It wasn't government action that caused those things to happen. So I think that's a, that's something that I like to tell people when they feel like it's all doom and gloom is the United States has already made incredible progress on this. There's really actually a lot of reason that we should be excited and hopeful and, and you know, looking forward to how much more progress we can make. So what are, you mentioned, uh, you know, it's best to do what, see what you can do in your community. So what are some of those things that, you know, everyday folks can uh, work on and advocate for within their communities uh, at an individual level? Yeah. So th- there's really a lot of things. I mean, in, in my ideal world, the biggest thing is people would be more engaged in their local politics and their local communities. Because I think the reason why you've seen the federal government take over so much of this policymaking is because we in our local communities have given up that power and sort of pushed it off to the federal government to to decide. So I I would love to see people just generally speaking, become more engaged locally. But, you know, some of the things that we do with our branches on a local level, we start small, but they do actually over time have a significant impact. Uh, effect. So if you plant one tree over the course of that tree's lifetime, it's going to capture tons of carbon out of the, out of the air. So if we're planting, as we've been doing with this campaign now, dozens, hundreds of trees, that all adds up. Um, you know, uh, another thing that we, we learned recently about, there's communities that are educating and, and, and learning how to do better, like urban farming and urban gardening. That's going to be a big future of our food. Um, our food source and our food production cycle. Um, there's a way that you can do that in a you've heard of sustainable agriculture. Really what we're talking about is regenerative agriculture. So focusing on soil health and doing things in a way that allowing the earth to heal itself through the different growing seasons. Um, there's a lot. I, I mean, really there, there's, there's a ton of ways that people can get involved um, in their local community. And, uh, and that's what we try to do with our branches. I heard something and I need to know if this is true. Okay. okay. And I don't, we'll know, if you, I don't know if you have the answer, but I heard, and this is for all my preppers out there. Okay. I don't know how many preppers we have listening to the show. We're not they're really, not, they're not we're not really a prepping either. show, <laughs> but I did hear that, uh, snake plants are one of the best, uh, carbon suckers and that they yeah. es- essentially, what the heck is a snake plant? You've never seen yeah. a snake plant. It's, never heard it's, of uh, This is not plant. a healthy one, but there it's like go. Yeah. they're just these long, <laughs> long leaf looking yeah. plants. But essentially, essentially, you could be buried alive with like eight of them, and they they would literally take all your carbon dioxide yeah. and they would give you all the oxygen enough for you to live the rest of your life. By the way, yeah. So if you're ever buried alive, make sure you know ask whoever's doing that for a couple of snake plants for you. Just yeah. Um, oh. 
Yeah, they're supposed to be really easy and, and hard to kill. I've I've killed some, but uh, <laughs> so has my wife. That's the only reason why I yeah. know snake plants are because my wife <laughs> I, is in this. I, I don't have the greenest thumb, but in that one shouldn't look that way. I'm told, but <laughs> yeah, I, I mean that's a great example, right? Like just the plants that we have in our house or that we plant outside are going to suck carbon out of the air. This is kind of elementary school science that I think a lot of people forget, and. Instead of focusing on the, and obviously that's not going to do everything, but instead of focusing on that, there are people who are, who just want to bicker about the Green New Deal. And, you know, if, if we want to talk about why nothing gets done, that's it. Yeah. Well, what are some of the problems with something like the Green New Deal? Let's get in, get into to that just a little bit or, or, you know, not Green New Deal specifically, but where, where we're headed with what all the governments around the world want to do versus what maybe just normal capitalism and innovation could do like is it really a bunch of virtue signaling or is it does it have a lot to do with virtue signaling or a lot of it i mean yeah you you see greenwashing all the time in terms of climate efforts that aren't actually that effective i I think you know when aoc or or others introduce climate legislation i i do believe that they're coming from a good place but they're they're just approaching the issue from the the they're approaching the issue from a standpoint that says, I don't trust people who make up this country. And so we need the government to do the things that in their mind, people can't or won't do. But what we're already saying is that people can do these things. They want to do these things. Businesses are already becoming more sustainable, more green. And yes, there's some greenwashing out there, but ultimately they're doing this because consumers are saying, I'm concerned. I want to do business with with uh, organizations that share my concerns or doing something about it. it. The problem with something like a Green New Deal, first of all, well, there's many problems. Number one, it's not real legislation, right? It's just a framework through which they they believe and, and create other pieces of actual legislation. Number two, it tries to create a blanket solution for the whole country when what is going to work in California is not going to work in Iowa or Florida. Um, and, and that's really important. That's where that local control is so important because states and local governments know what will work better than the federal government creating a one-size-fits-all silver bullet solution. And then number three, I, I really think it shows a disdain for the communities in this country that are not on the coast, right? I mean, it talks about an energy transition without any kind of regard for the people, the good people in this country who make uh, their livelihoods from, from, you know, the energy industry. I, I, I was born and raised in Houston and um, in Houston, you either are in the energy industry or, you know, someone who is, and, and it's so connected that way. And when you talk about, we need to, you know, cut out fossil fuels in the next five seconds, Let's translate that. You're talking about people losing their jobs. And they're, they're, a lot of times the government likes to pretend as though, you know, people can just transfer these things from one industry to the other. But if they really believe in a fair transition, they would be having a lot more of an intellectual discussion about how we actually make it fair for people. Um, and, and, and so that's what I don't like about these government one-size-fits-all solutions it often leaves out a lot of people, a lot of communities, and ultimately it doesn't 
do what they want it to do. Um, and, and in fact, it, it could very well have the opposite effects of what they want. Well, and you see, you know, some of the stats that you went over and, and of course, you know, we're pretty big uh, Musk fans as well, but, it, and he's not the only one. I mean, there's several people participating in the market where despite, you know, our, our government, um, you know, climate change packages that haven't really passed, we're achieving and surpassing goals that they would have had anyway. And that human beings left to their own devices are smart enough and want to figure these types of things out. And so you don't really need that, that overarching government control. Um, it looks like people, uh, including your entire organization, um, cares deeply about affecting real change. Yeah. And from my perspective, let's get some tiny wins behind us instead of bickering over what what one person considers will be a huge win, right? Like, let's do the things that we can agree on and let's do the things that are simple and make sense and, and empower markets and empower individuals rather than spending all of our time, all of our political capital arguing over a big government solution that, that really isn't the answer. And it's frustrating when, when people... Um, legitimately are willing to, to spend their time complaining about that stuff rather than doing what we can do. Um, and, but, but I do think that, that young people and, and Gen Z specifically from the polling that we've done from other studies, they're tired of the talk and they want stuff done. And they are starting to see that on a local level is where they can get stuff done. And so that really excites me because I, I, I want people to, to be more engaged and, to see themselves as uh, we don't elect members of Congress to go and solve our issues for us. I mean, we elect them to, to deliberate and to, you know, to, to protect our constitutional rights. But I, I think it's a mistake for us to give them uh, the responsibility of, of saving our communities because it, it's just not something they can do. Yeah, if there's one single organization that I don't want doing that, uh, I think the I think the U.S. government is one of yeah. the last people on the list that I would choose. And I and I'm still I end up asking this a lot, but what historical evidence are people going off of to think that we have this massive problem, this earth destroying problem, and we must allow on you know, allow Congress or rely on Congress to fix this? Uh, what what historical evidence do we have that they're actually going to be able to do that? It seems like a pretty big, pretty big deal. Maybe we should let other people work on this, like innovation in the market. So, you know, how is it that that capitalism can fix this? Because that's really that's really what I think is going to happen. And what I worried about what I worry about is the government coming in and you know, say they're going to have tons of taxes. They're going to do wealth redistribution. They're actually going to slow down the innovation in in the market and it's actually the innovation in the market these new creations things that we don't even know about yet we haven't thought of maybe they'll accidentally come up with something when they're trying to create something else you just you never know it really can't be planned and so how you know how is it that we can tell people that we can rely on the free market and on people to come up with these solutions we've got to be better storytellers and we we, we have to push back against the, 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 the left and specifically the eco-left is very good about using emotion 
um, and telling the story of, of how this government action uh, will or, or can, a, can affect people's lives. We have to be just as good, if not better. Um, it's telling the stories about the company, like Elon Musk and you know the, the, the innovations that he's brought to the market. It's about telling those stories and showing the people who have been affected by that. And, you know, I, I think when you're in a crisis and a lot of people would consider, you know, us in a climate crisis, you don't make sober decisions. Uh, we saw that whenever, you know, just to use the analogy, post 9-11, there were a lot of bad decisions made by our government that sacrificed our security and our, and our, and our liberties um, because we were in a crisis and we were scared. And when you make decisions, when you're scared, they're not going to be the best decisions. And so I think it's up to us on the, on the other side, so to speak, tell the story to be, you know, the, the sober adults in the room uh, and, and, and also just to lead confidently on this stuff. Um, I think conservatives often, when they speak about climate issues or really a lot of issues, they're on the defensive and they feel like they have to justify why they're talking about it. You know, especially on climate, we hear a lot of Republicans say, uh, I know it's not normal for conservatives to talk about climate change, but I actually do believe I, you know, I, I, I do believe we should do something about it. I think we need to cut out that, that qualification at the beginning when we talk about this stuff and just confidently say, this is an issue. I believe that our solutions are the best for it. And here's the story of, of how that's going to work. Um, and so that's a little abstract, but, but ultimately that's what we're trying to do. And I think uh, a lot of people are, are coming around to, to that idea. Yeah. We, I, you know, I, I don't know much about uh, climate, um, but we take that same approach with something that we both are very familiar with, which is healthcare. And I think the left kind of drives the narrative in a similar fashion with the Medicare for all. And so in, in talking with most people, they're like, oh, well, healthcare is too expensive. I'm like, yeah, you're right. Way too expensive. There's a huge healthcare problem. We're in a healthcare crisis. Um, and it's true. We've only got true. 12 years to fix it. But here's... Here's some solutions that, you know, that, that come from a liberty standpoint uh, that doesn't have the government controlling everything. And so that's, I, I agree. I think that's the best approach that we can take with each, with each issue that we have. Find things that you agree on also, just little wins that you can agree on, like we've done when talking to people about healthcare. Like maybe, maybe there is some kind of government uh, regulation or program that is making things more expensive or slowing down the market. And uh, you can just say like, hey, well, okay, we both agree it's too expensive. How about we get rid of this right here? That's obviously something that we should that we should get rid of and and just chip away and and form coalitions uh, with, with people uh, where you can work together uh, on issues. And, you know, you just mentioned coming at this and saying, hey, you know, I know that we don't talk about climate much because we're more, you know, we're not really on the left or anything, but. You know, we think maybe we should do something about this. And that's kind of how we start the conversations, too, really. I mean, that's just a kind of a normal way that we do it. And the reason being is both of us were very much against this entire idea, like until a year ago or so. And it, just like most people that are on the right or libertarians uh, that are like that. And I uh, went through a couple books. There's one called False Alarm by uh, Beyond Lomberg, I think. Uh, is the right one. And then Michael Schellenberger uh, had a great one too. And, uh, and they both kind of started the same way and, and said, this is a problem. 
but we don't need to rely on the government to solve it. The solutions that they're throwing out, this isn't the way to solve it. What I want to know, there is a question in here. Where do you go to get information on things like this where you're not just being propagandized to the entire time? Because I'm very, uh, uh, I, I'm very standoffish when I feel like someone's, you know, just trying to feed me a bunch of propaganda. But I yeah. also would like to see information on things like this that would let me know that there is an actual problem and there and that something should be done about it. Are there, are there sources that you trust on this? Yeah, that's a really that's a really good question. It's also a very tough question, especially today, where there are so many different sources. And you know, I I, I love the the responses about misinformation age is that oh, you just need to do a better job of vetting information. But it's like, how do you how do you do that? How do you know? Um, what I, this is a bit nerdy, but what I look at is the data sets and the different studies that are out there. And you have to be careful, right? Because certain people and organizations can fund certain studies and the data certainly suddenly looks a certain way. So you do have to do your homework on that. I mean, we're all, we all just went through a pandemic. We are professionals at reading studies. You know, oh, yeah, we, know yeah. we know exactly how to pick through those. So yeah, you have sorry. a PhD now. For yeah, sure. exactly. So sorry, go ahead. <laughs> no, no, no. But it goes, it goes back to, I, I, I remember um, when I was, when Glenn Beck was on Fox, he was, I would be home from stool every day as the show started, but he would always say, you know, verify this information, look it up yourself. And, um, for, for me, I mean, the, the big report that we, um, that we cite is, and depending on who your audience is, they may, they may be okay with this. They may hate it. The, the UN's uh, IPC, uh, IPCC report is a credible source. We use it as an organization to guide uh, just the reality of what's happening. Um, and they do a good job of presenting the data without a lot of analysis and, or, or editorial analysis, which, which I like. Um, now, granted, it does paint a very urgent kind of bad picture. Well, they, but they present multiple outcomes, and they, they say do. that they, they model it. We only yeah. hear about we only hear about one where everything where you know the Earth is about to be destroyed. But I did exactly. read through some of it, and I saw. Oh, actually, they listed out a bunch of potential outcomes here. It just turns out that uh, the Huffington Post is is only telling everyone about this one right here. Well, and that's what I would tell you is look beyond the headline, look at what they're linking to and mirror that with the actual reporting that they did versus the actual data. And, you know, you've got to tell yourself like these, this media organization is misrepresenting it or they're only focusing on this one thing. Cause you're right. Um, it, it's very easy to, to go through their models and pull out all the bad stuff. And suddenly everyone freaks out because, we're dead tomorrow. So, uh, you know, I, I hate to say do your own homework, but that is the reality. And I, I think that's, that makes us smarter is to, to really look at things, um, with a skeptical eye and, and do that deep dive. Do you think there is an incentive to create that emergency for some of the more, uh, maybe not great purposes? Like you said, uh, AOC, Bernie, whoever it is, they have good intentions uh, with what they're talking about with the climate. Do you think there's some incentive to present it as an emergency? Oh, absolutely. Um, you Again, when you're in a crisis, you can make rash decisions. And when you're talking about how someone like an AOC or Bernie Sanders generates their political capital, 
it's by generating crises. Um, and, and that happens on both sides of the aisle, of course, but specifically with climate, they've built up a platform and they've built up an urgency around some of their legislation, which thankfully hasn't passed. Uh, but they've done that by, by um, primarily by pressuring the publics, which then pressure their colleagues, right? They're not doing this within the halls of Congress, but they're, they're using it as a, um, as a public relations sort of campaign to get people behind uh, their proposals. And, and, um, and, and that's how these things get the, the ball moving forward. And I, I would love for those of us on the right to not fabricate crises, um, but to learn from that and to learn uh, about the importance of, of that public pressure, but in, in the right direction. Well, and the folks on the right did the same thing with the neocons in the war after September yeah. 11th. I mean, so there's a bunch of terrible legislation that actually passed, by the way, but that we're still under. Um, yeah. So uh, tell me, what is the American climate contract? The American climate contract was an early um, sort of commitment, if you will, about basically saying that we're conservatives. We uh, agree that climate change is real. There are policy solutions. Uh, there are also non-policy solutions. And, uh, and it was one of our original attempts at really building a coalition. And, and, and we did. We got a lot of um, we had uh, a bunch of college Republican uh, state chairs sign on. We had uh, elected officials who agreed with it, other organizations that we worked with who signed on as well. Um, and so I, I would give a little teaser here to say we're about to come out this year with something similar, but hopefully even more impactful, um, which will lay out specific uh, sort of policy tenets in terms of a framework to, to get, uh, to get conservative, uh, solutions passed. Um, but yes, that, that was an early attempt of ours as an organization and, and it worked pretty well. Yeah. And, uh, I, I thought that maybe that might've been an, an earlier thing and, and that's cool that you're working on another one coming up here. Another thing I noticed on the website was that there are there, there's local like affiliates or organizations or how does all this work? Like how, how do you yeah. guys organize? Yeah, so we have local branches. Most of our branches are on college campuses just because that's our primary demographic is college-age students. But a lot of them also are just in communities, broadly speaking. Um, and so uh, on each of our branches, we have usually a couple of branch leaders and they get together and really we give them the, the authority to make the decisions about what they want to do, right? If they want to do a cleanup or a hike or a social event or plant some trees, we support them in that, but they are, are largely making their own decisions. Um, and then obviously if there's, if, if someone's listening and they want to join a branch, if there's not one in your area, super simple to get one started. Um, so, you know, we're always looking to, to start branches in new cities, but that's essentially how it happens is people come to us interested, they get a branch together. And then we have the national organization that does events uh, like our summit that's coming up in June or monthly calls um, that our branch members join us for. So it's national, but it, it, it's pretty much a, a bottom-up organization in terms of the events and activities we do. Now, we talked about this crazy snake plant. I just had a random thought when you were talking about uh, planting trees. I mean, what what trees What trees should I... Let's say that uh, there's a bunch of land uh, that like my family has and I planted some trees there like 25 years ago, but I can't believe how big they are. Holy crap. It's crazy to remember planting a tree and then looking at it later. You know, 
what 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 should I put if I want to help the environment the most? What's the best carbon scrubber we got out there? Yeah, that's a great question. So the the kind of trees that, and this is actually really important. And we we've learned this as we've done tree planting events. Uh, it, it really does matter the kind of trees that you plant in your specific part of the country, and uh, because some some are just not adapt for certain climates. And so what I would tell you is to, there, there are a bunch of online resources. Um, Arbor Day Foundation is a great organization that we've worked with and they do tree plantings all the time. That's kind of their primary purpose. They have great resources on their website to look that up. You could also go to um, local arborists and nurseries and, and all that good stuff and, and they'll have information about it. Um, and then I, I would definitely tell people to um, to, to learn how to properly plant, plant the tree so it, it, it lasts for a while. And maybe that's why some of my house plants don't last very long. Maybe I'm not planting them correctly. But um, yeah, the, the, that's, that's a very important thing to, to remember. Well, they need space. You know, the roots, they, mm-hmm. they need some space to go. And Char- Charlie and I have experience out on my dad's farm planting you know, thousands of grape uh, grapes out there. I mean, just, just tons of them. And mm. you wouldn't, you wouldn't believe, I mean, you, t- you got to take a tractor out there and dig like a two or three foot hole for that thing to make sure it's got space below it for the roots to go, you know, Hard work. you got to yeah. take care of your plants. And, uh, I'm, you know, I'm working on killing a couple in my house right now, but, uh, they're miraculously holding on through all the neglect and, and my cat and, and everything else that's, <laughs> <laughs> that's, uh, that's going on. But anyway, this, this is a this has been a really cool conversation, and like I said, it's something that we actually talk about a lot after we've had our switch and being willing to talk about this being a problem. And I think once you get a lot of people that are on the right or that are libertarians to be willing to discuss this as a problem and know that you're not telling them that the government is the only solution to solve this, that actually are our beloved free market would be able to solve this and our individual liberty would be able to solve this. I think a lot more people are going to be willing to, to get involved. So we really appreciate the work that you guys are doing. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity to, to come speak to you guys today. Yeah. Let everyone know uh, where to go. And of course we'll put this in the show notes, but uh, yeah, just give everybody the information on where they go and how they can help support. Yeah, so our website is acc.eco instead of like .com or something, .eco. And then on social media at acc underscore national. Um, and, and like I said, join an existing branch, start a new branch if there's not one in your area. But, you know, otherwise follow us, connect with us, and, and we'd love to have you as part of our coalition. Awesome. Thanks, Stephen. Thank you so much.